Uh, we are talking pace and consumer protection with our good friend and frequent Renew Guru, Byron Delir. Guru. Renew Guru. That's kind of like being from Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we're going to do the music. Music up. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen coming to you live from my undisclosed location here in Columbia, Missouri. Coming to us on the boards from the palatial Renew Missouri studios in Northtown, Columbia is Philip Forsika. Hey, Philip. Hello. Thanks, Philip. And our guest today, you've heard him uh on our podcast a number of times we're happy to have him on as always uh from y green our friend and yours byron delir hey byron hello james how's it going and how are you getting along in this world post plague are we still in the plague what's going on oh we're still in the plague you live in st louis county i mean it's like kind of like the post-apocalypse over there where people are just yelling and (laughs) it's pretty ugly over there isn't it I always get the mask report from my wife when she shows up at any particular event. She's like, so there are about three people that didn't have masks or she'll say, you know, half of, half of the people weren't wearing masks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which by the way, I mean, this is completely off topic, but I just saw, and this is coming from Phillips former neck of the woods and in independence that there was a city council meeting for independence. And they had to issue an advisory that if you were at that meeting where I think they talked about a mask mandate, you need to go get tested because there was a COVID outbreak. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. So yeah, there's been a lot of histrionics at the St. Louis County council concerning, you know, mask mandates and these kind of things. And I, the, the council finally passed a, a mandate. So they're, they're uh, following the, the, you know, the public health dictates and uh, passing it. Of course, these kind of things are aspirational and it's kind of like guidance because there is really no enforcement mechanisms that, that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, I know, and you know, I, uh, Oh, a little bit of backstory about me. I'm a part-time municipal judge here for the city of Columbia. And we've had, I think approximately five uh, ordinances for people who've gotten uh, businesses, businesses who had been uh, cited for not requiring masks and, they just paid the $15 fine. <laughs> right. I think after a while, they realized that representing a lawyer to defend their principles was really not worth it compared to that. So uh, my goodness, what were we talking about? Oh, histrionics. So that means we should talk about pace. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say the anti-pace um, histrionics. Um, Byron, we've had you on here before. We've talked a little bit about uh, what PACE is, the Property Assessed Clean Energy uh, Districts here in Missouri. I don't think we need to go through all of that again. I can certainly refer people to the Y Green website, to our website, where we talk about the statutes. Um, I think the last time we talked, we were talking about um, some legislation that had been filed with the uh, legislature in Missouri um, that was very anti-PACE, very anti-PACE. And then, you know, as the five months of the Missouri legislature goes by, there is a lot of work that people like you and me do uh, to try to, you know, fight that. And then sometimes you got to get to a compromise. And at some point, I think it was House Bill 697 
where the compromise was reached, which by the way, folks, when we're recording this, this is going to play sometime in September, but as we're recording this, uh, all the laws that were passed in 2021 just went into effect on August 28th this past weekend because this is the only good bit of Missouri trivia I know. That's when the Missouri Constitution was ratified, and that's why laws go into effect that day. Uh, so th- that new provision is in the law. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, we know, let, let's kind of summarize what the opponents of PACE uh, and their their lawmakers at their at their disposal were trying to do. Yeah, so PACE is a means, it's a public policy that allows property owners to leverage future savings and other economic benefits to make a bunch of upgrades now rather than later. And it, it, it attracts private investment. There's probably been about 3,000 projects done in Missouri for approximately $180 million in, in private investment. It's created well over 2,500 good paying jobs. And, um, you know, PACE works by a tax assessment being placed on a property so that the financing can be paid back as part of your property taxes. And because of this, there's some unique attributes to this innovative and disruptive financing tool Mm -hmm. that don't make some other folks in the other financial sectors uh, happy. Like for instance, mortgage bankers, don't like the fact that a PACE assessment is being provided to a property owner that has senior lien status to their mortgage debt. So we've seen a number of bills over the years sponsored by the Missouri Bankers Association that um, are attempting to uh, overregulate the program or to um, uh, put, you know, co- consumer protections to standardize consumer protections in the program, which of course we have always supported. Mm -hmm. And in fact, most of the language uh, on the consumer protections uh, was drawn from a a bill that representative Rocky Miller sponsored. um, That was, you know, language that we had developed in collaboration with uh, representative Miller Mm -hmm. uh, from 2018. So we support the consumer protections, but it's, you know, as you know, the devil's in the details. And yep. there can be a provision that <laughs> may seem obscure, may seem reasonable, mm-hmm. um, arcane, obscure, reasonable, but in, in effect, it would actually kill the program. And like wow. one of those, one of those provisions, for example, was if anybody wants to participate in the PACE program, they would have to ask their mortgage banker if they could or not. Uh, which, yeah, and I recall that during the kind of a, a filibuster on that, somebody said that would be like if you're trying to buy a Chevy and you had to get permission from Ford to buy your that vehicle, right? Was that the is that the analogy? Yeah, that is that's. I think we heard that on the floor of the Senate. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I think uh, Senator Williams, one of the um, St. Louis City delegation of senators, and. You know, kudos to the senators from the St. Louis area and representatives from the St. Louis area that understand the value of this program. They understand that this program creates good paying jobs and in particular creates jobs for minority contractors. In fact, in the city of St. Louis, we've had this really amazing local success story where 29% of all the Y Green funded projects were completed by minority contractors, which exceeds wow. the actual mandate that the city sets uh, forth yeah. for public monies. 
Now, PACE is private money, and yet we're exceeding that mandate. And this equity and inclusion initiative has been recognized nationally and is now being replicated in metropolitan areas all across the United States. And it's really the innovative uh, aspects of PACE policy in not only providing economic opportunities for contractors, but also providing access to capital solutions for underserved communities that historically have been left behind by traditional banking, that have been left behind by uh, secondary mortgages or home equity lines of credit. And uh, the PACE program has stepped in and provided access to capital at affordable rates, fixed rates, over 20 years uh, is the maximum term, which means that your annual payment is so low. I mean, it roughly equals about 120 bucks on average a month payment obligation to get a new roof, to get new high efficiency heating and cooling systems. Um, so the PACE program is extremely valuable and Senator Jill Shoup, Senator Brian Williams, Senator Carla May, and uh, Senator Stephen Roberts all mm -hmm. stood up and defended this program. And you know we reached a compromise with the drafters of the legislation you know, we're still performing an analysis of some of the uh, provisions of the bill, which will go into effect uh, in on New Year's, January 1st, 2022. Um, yeah. But in general, uh, you know, the issue of lender consent or the mother may I provision, you know, uh, that that was stripped from the bill, it was stricken right. from the bill, you know, effectively saving residential pace, or, or the ability for homeowners in Missouri to have access to this uh, financing tool. Yeah. And I, and there's, but there, there, that was one of many things. I mean, there's also a bill that said like, you know, the pace loan could only equal a certain percentage of the equity in the house, which I mean, no other. And look, I, having done some real estate law in my past life, uh, I can tell you that no other kind of financial tool or secured or securitized um, note has to go through such scrutiny or has to like go through such requirements period. Right. I mean, <laughs> it was really being singled out. Yeah. Well, I mean, the PACE program has a lot of attributes that make it unique and disruptive. And so, you know, as many proponents, there's, there's folks that don't appreciate how innovative and disruptive it is. I mean, for example, there are far more consumer protections for homeowners in the PACE process than in the other forms of home improvement financing that are available uh, if PACE isn't available. And, uh, you know, so the fact that you're protecting and empowering homeowners to higher levels than the other options, it, you know, it really makes it a uh, value add for communities. And like, let me give you an example. Let me give your listeners an example. Like, for example, there was a uh, property owner in St. Charles County in this, this last February during the uh, polar vortex. I think I actually shared this in the last podcast, but, you know, just, you know, to refresh, story, everyone, yeah. to refresh everyone's memory, you know, she was a single mother who ran a daycare center in her home and her right. furnace went out. And during the polar vortex, which saw temperatures plummet by like 60 degrees, uh, overnight, um, you know, she had no way to heat her home for the kids in the daycare center. Uh, she didn't have stellar credit. 
I think she'd just gone through a divorce or something like this. She, she didn't have stellar credit and she couldn't get access to a home equity line of credit or a secondary mortgage. And she was faced with having to put this furnace on a credit card at like yeah. 25% interest rate. Um, well, the PACE program was able to step in in less than 24 hours, get her, get her furnace replaced and get th that heat, you know, in place for those children that, in the daycare. So, I mean, it's a real amazing initiative. And, and uh, that's why I've devoted more than 11 years of my life to advance this policy. And, uh, you know, I, I'm doing it because it generates triple bottom line benefits for the community, which is environmental benefits. You know, Y Green, we've completed over 100,000 projects in three states, which equals to the creation of more than 48,000 jobs. We've reduced carbon pollution by 2.3 million metric tons, which is the equivalent of not burning a billion gallons of gasoline. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. So you have these economic benefits, you've got these environmental benefits, mm -hmm. and you have these social benefits. People live in healthier and more resilient uh, properties. Um, they save on their electricity and utility bills. You're reducing carbon pollution, and you're creating viable economic opportunities for folks in the building sector, and in particular for minority contractors. That's what we emphasize at Y-Green, and we see these as being a suite of social impacts that elevates this policy above and beyond all the other options if PACE were not available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think, you know, and I think you might've touched on this that the, the law that's going to go into effect that now has to kind of go through some regulatory implementation is basically in essence, consumer protection matters that you've already as an industry been following, but now is just is codified and can be enforceable. You know, if you don't do what you've already been doing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a role for the division of finance, which, uh, you know, typically oversees banks and other financial entities. Uh, the division of finance will be doing examinations of the uh, different clean energy development boards in the state. There's four of them in Missouri. Um, so, you know, we're looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, this is a new, returning to order new chapter for PACE in Missouri and, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the, uh, the potential here. You know, there have been critics of PACE. Um, ProPublica did a series of articles that I felt were uh, narrowly, narrowly looking at uh, some financial hardship cases that, yeah. that may, you know, in all likelihood were not related to PACE at all. And yet, because PACE is a public-private partnership, it's kind of got this big target on it. And so you right. can blame it, but, you know, cause it correlation causation. I mean, these are issues yeah. that are important in reporting, but it just seems like, it seems like oftentimes in the media today, you just go with the splashy sensationalistic depiction and you, and if, if context and comprehensive reporting dilutes the splashiness or the sensationalistic aspects of your reporting then you're not going to include it. Yeah, that's right. Because I mean, look, because I look, the, okay, so the ProPublica piece uh, or the pieces uh, came out, ooh, about the time that there was going to be some big votes on this in the in the Missouri legislature. <laughs> right. And it was a Missouri-based reporter that was doing it. And I'm, and I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, it was orchestrated, but I can certainly tell you that it seemed very coincidental to me. 
that uh, this not-for-profit who, um, you know, as not-for-profits are protected uh, from, you don't know who funds them. You don't know where they get their money from. You don't know if they're getting incentivized to do certain pieces at certain times by certain people. That's just me. You don't know. We don't know. But this is when that hit. And in the, in the lead up to it, I, I mean, look, the, the, the reporter who did this interviewed me. I talked to him for a long time. Not a single quote from me in that article. I know there's some other folks that. Uh, and James, might... James, you're, yeah. the, you're the head of a very significant environmental advocacy group in the state. And you have been involved in PACE. Renew Missouri has been involved in PACE since its inception. You, yeah. know, you know chapter and verse of this policy. You've been aware of the reports and the activity of this policy. And yet, because you were offering a different conclusion, yeah. you were disincluded from the report. Yeah, because I, I had an audacity to kind of counter the narrative that it was very clear from the questions that was being structured and you know and look i mean i'm very quotable (laughs) (laughs) i am what some people might call a colorful interview (laughs) and uh, it i am because i do say things that are kind of you know um on my mind that i think do kind of fit into like what i think reporters might be looking for and but even regardless of that i mean yes i was i was defending this program i was defending uh, you know, uh, this against, you know, the comparison. I mean, it was being compared that why can't these people just that want to do this go to Home Depot and get a credit card? And that is like, to me, such a white suburban thing to say, like, oh yeah, anybody could qualify for a credit card at Home Depot and then pay, I think you said 24, 25% right. on that. I mean, that's, I mean, somehow that's not, that's not a problem, but because it, it seems to me like the biggest complaint that critics have is like, well, this is government sanctioned as though somehow that makes this more offensive than like a payday loan. Right. Which, you know, used to be kind of the, you know, outrage du jour 10 years ago. And I think for very good reasons. Um, but, you know, now we, you know, we, we kind of, didn't get anywhere with that and so now we're just trying to find something else as you said to sensationalize and to get people upset about and clean energy is kind of hot clean energy is you know kind of important oh but look look at this look at this thing we don't quite understand we don't quite get so if someone smart like me doesn't understand it it must be bad well i will say that (laughs) i will say that even if you have partisan attacks and I don't mean political party, I just mean one-sided, unbalanced attacks. Mm -hmm. If the policy is really robust and good, it should stand up to that scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the test of time will prove out that PACE policy is going to stand up to the scrutiny. Because there, like I mentioned earlier, there are things that this program does above and beyond any of the other options that empowers homeowners. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be adding things like financial literacy counseling. And you've got certificates of completion, which no funds are ever dispersed to a contractor until a property owner signs a document saying they're perfectly satisfied with the worksmanship. This this does not exist with credit cards. This doesn't exist with 
uh, home equity lines of credit or the other forms of financing that homeowners will gravitate towards if they have a, a very pronounced need to get an upgrade or to you know do repairs on their property. Um, so as as we you know go further downstream through unpacking what pace policy really is, we really view this as an opportunity to up to uplift and engage and educate uh, the consumers and uh, policymakers about what the real story is of this program. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I believe that, that it will stand the, the test of time and will stand uh, the uh, hyper uh, critical scrutiny that uh, may not be balanced because it's not providing context. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and I think you can look at any financial tool, any kind of securitized um, note or like a mortgage, like anything like that. And there are there are stories that you can find. I mean, I felt like some of the articles that were published on this were very anecdotal, you know, did not really paint a full picture. I mean, and as you said, could be factored and influenced by other things, but they chose to focus on, well, this person was a PACE participant. Um, and I think that that probably is doing the public a disservice because I think it's not, I don't think it's giving context. It doesn't sound like it's pro public. Ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I know, I know it just sounds like we're beating up on some, you know, reporter, but I mean, you know, but it was, it was this, there was no, to me, like, I feel like when I see articles like that, there's no effort to like get to the truth of something. There's a matter of, well, we have a perspective that we're trying to provide a perspective yeah, and, already and, determined. And we're not trying to like, say like, we're going to look at this in totality. We just want to look at this and say like, well, we think this is bad. And so you should too. So um, in all our communication with the reporters, we, of course, uh, encourage them to look at the totality of the issue and to be holistic about the reporting. And to be fair, over time, the reporters have been providing more context. Mm -hmm. So I have appreciation for them providing more context. I also have appreciation for uh, Jeremy uh, Kohler, uh, as I expressed in a uh, Clean Energy Development Board meeting that he was attending, um, I have appreciation for him making sure that we take a real hard look at the policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, this policy and the way it's evolving and continuing to mature, it will stand the test of time and it will stand a sustained uh, you know, perhaps some might say biased uh, criticism uh, or um, unbalanced scrutiny, it will, it will sustain itself because of the triple bottom line benefits, which are concrete. These are concrete measurable benefits, climate pollution, job creation, mm -hmm. advancing community priorities that are strapped in budgetary constraints, uh, to advance things like climate protection. This program does it through the private sector, through private investment. And that's what really makes it a game changer. I mean, and that's why there's support for this policy across the entire political spectrum. Mm. I remember when we were first advancing pace in Missouri, there was an article that came out out of Texas from the Tea Party talking about how great pace was. So, 
you know, pace is uh, it's a it's an innovative, disruptive tool. It's in its infancy. It's only you know eight or nine years old in in all reality, and it's going up against this ten trillion dollar mortgage industry. You know, well established financial right. industries. And so when you're offering a solution and we really haven't found a way to provide access to capital for underserved communities without having the attributes of pace in the financing model, mm -hmm. if there was a way to do it affordably for at unsecured credit or for credit cards and things like this, uh, then we would use that. But there hasn't been a, a way to provide this financing at under 10% interest rates. I mean, the average uh, simple rate is 7.99 in the state of Missouri. There are options to buy that interest rate down to 699, 599, 499, even 3.99% interest rates. There's options to buy it down. And we provide all those options to contractors, to property owners. It's, an, it's really an amazing, flexible program. And the ability to deploy this private investment in less than 24 hours and get somebody the high efficiency heating system or the heating system, you know, the furnace that they need, the air conditioning they need. You know, one of the attributes of the program that is a real differentiator, James, is that there are price guidelines on all the measures that are available for PACE funding, meaning a contractor cannot gouge or overprice a property owner. Again, right. I mean, I know that these may sound a little small ball, but right. when you add all these little differentiators in a compound sense, it starts to materialize and illustrate a policy that's just frankly better for folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, right. And I just... And yeah, I mean, I think anytime you do something new, you do something different, it is going to, people are not going to know what it is. It's going to take a while for them to wrap their heads around it. And it is just going to be, people are going to be skeptical of it. I feel like that is what they are. I mean, that's what people do with almost every form of everything we have worked on at Renew Missouri at some point. I mean, you know, solar was a joke. Wind was a joke. Wind is still being heavily scrutinized um, and vilified. Uh, you know, what did they call, what did George H.W. Bush call Al Gore? Mr. Ozone? Like he was like some, yeah. state, like he was some sort of science fiction creature. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, like all of this, this is just, this is just, you know, you, you, as you said, you disrupt things and it causes people to respond badly or negatively, I guess I should say. And I think that's what's happened here with base. And, you know, being in a red state, mm. although if you look, at the, if you look <laughs> at the image, of, if, you, if you look at the image of Missouri, it's leaning to the left, you know, <laughs> just the silhouette. Yeah. Uh, being, being in a red state, um, it's important for, if, if you're interested in advancing policies that help folks, it's important to, to talk about the attributes of the policy that resonate with the decision makers. And I think that you, James, are very effective at making clean energy and ratepayer policy uh, um, you know, digestible for conservatives and Republicans. You know, when we discuss pace in the legislature in Jefferson City, I'm oftentimes discussing the economic development 
attributes mm-hmm. and the job creation. Yeah. And that's how we were able to get support from like the, uh, you know, Associated General Contractors of Missouri, which mm-hmm. represents over 500 small businesses, medium-sized businesses in Missouri that are in the contracting industry that defend this policy because they see the concrete benefits that it provides for their membership. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that I think that we've done a good job of eliciting Republican support and GOP support for this policy. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to developing that coalition even further. Yeah, because I mean, I think it is, it is, you don't go into Jefferson City talking about climate and environmental issues because there's just not a big audience for it. But when you talk about business, when you talk about economic development, when you talk about saving people money, giving people options, those things are important. And, you know, and because you do see a lot of attacks on pace from the left, I, or at least I get to hear a lot of attacks uh, from it on the left. And I, I, there's an inclination that I will say that I, I feel like the, the, the status quo that's being interrupted there is, is that poor people should just be given a handout. They should not have access to programs like this. They should just be given, uh, you know, like something for free, something that doesn't have to be like something that is even incrementally something they pay back. And so I think if you just if you if you believe that, as I believe that there are people who are in the advocacy world that do, you should say that you should say, I don't think that poor people should have access to borrowing money. It, it's a little paternalistic. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when Adolphus Pruitt, the president of the St. Louis City NAACP, I mean, he talks about Pace as being a forerunner of a revolution in finance and about how it empowers homeowners in underserved communities to invest in their most valuable and largest source of wealth development, which is their family asset of their home. It allows them to invest in it where many of those folks are left behind by traditional financing because they're denied it. Or when they are granted financing, they're granted a high interest rate. You know, and to that point, there are studies that show that credit scores have systemic biases mm-hmm. and racial biases built into credit scores. So that means if you have a lower credit score, you have higher interest rates. And that mm-hmm. actually acts as a kind of a red line tax. Well, mm-hmm. PACE has the same terms and rates for everybody, whether you live in Wellston or Ladue, it doesn't matter where you live. The rates are the same for everybody. Because if you're up to date on your if you're up to date on your property taxes, if you're up to date uh, on your mortgage payments, you're a responsible property owner, then you have access to this tool and you pay the exact same rate as someone in a very affluent community would pay. And when you talk to an African-American family, when you talk to uh, uh, you know, folks that are lower income, uh, that, that really shows a difference to how PACE is an innovation that is more equitable. Mm-hmm. And advancing equity as a part of policy in terms of real outcomes, it doesn't get any better than that. Right. And, and the you know folks like John Oliver on his show and ProPublica, you know, they say that PACE is targeting underserved communities. 
Yeah. When I'll, I will say first, the first thing I will say, we are proud of being able to provide affordable financing options for folks that are left behind in normal circumstances. This is something that is good, not bad. The program essentially is being attacked for its virtues. Yeah. And I, you know, again, and I think John Oliver comes, he's British in case you people didn't notice. I think he comes from a world where there are a lot of, there's a lot of socialized social programs out there, which I mean, you may or may not agree with. I, I think that that is not something that whether you agree with it or not, whether you agree that that's what we should be doing, it is not something we're going to be doing in Missouri. <laughs> right. At any time soon. We've never really done that. Even when we had Democrats in control, we always had relatively conservative Democrats compared to uh, other parts of the country. Uh, so to say, like, well, so if we're not going to do that, and then you say, like, we shouldn't do pace because it's, you know, too reliant on the market or it's, it's a, you know, a private solution to a public problem. I just think then you're just saying, well, these then folks should do nothing about energy efficiency or clean energy if they're of a certain income class. And I will tell you, I don't think that's the solution either, because then they will go to credit cards then they will go to payday loans that, or to car title loans and things like that. Or use and, space heaters. Or using, yeah. And I mean, which is a public health concern. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you know, so to me, it's like you should be expanding options, not limiting them. Um, and, you know, and I mean, I, yeah, I, I, absolutely, I have a consumer protection background. I, I, you know, when you listed off some of the uh, state senators who are in support of this program, let me tell you something. They are not. They are probably some of the most adamant pro-consumer lawmakers in the state. Um, right. And do I do I think that like those state senators would would vouch for something they thought was helping hurting hurting poor low income people of color there's no way that is that is insane to me i don't those care are, those are the communities that they represent as well i mean the yeah C the st louis city delegation there are zip codes in north city that when you look at the 1930 redlining maps mm -hmm. of the city of st louis yep you can google it you can find a 1930s redlining map which rates these neighborhoods as what they what they're called fourth grade neighborhoods, mm -hmm. and it, the message was these communities are unbankable. Yep, those problems are still persistent today. Poverty yep. is still persistent today. You should not fault a program and a policy that's attempting to help access to capital issues. Uh, you should you should champion that policy. Yeah. Not criticize it. Right. And I, I just, I find that the liberal argument against pace is really, it's baffling to me. I don't know. <laughs> I know that's not who was sponsoring this in the legislature here, but I know it's out there because I hear it all the time. I have to push against it all the time. Um, and so I, I just, it just has to be addressed because I'm sorry. I know uh, some of you all I've worked with and I've had these same positions and meetings. So if you think I'm talking about you, well, I probably am. Um, so <laughs> yeah. And I was, <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, that, that's kind of, 
so there's yeah there's that too well these 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 criticisms and the interest and the scrutiny are all valid you know in terms of uh you know being placed on a table and and you know having the opportunity to unpack them and to say well what are you criticizing here are you criticizing finance in general are you saying that people should not be able to access financing to do necessary vital energy improvements you know are you saying that people shouldn't take mortgages out Mm -hmm. because there's risks associated with any financing yeah. There's risks associated with financing. That's right. And I mean, did weren't you, James, as a uh, municipal judge, weren't you telling me that there are courtrooms, local courtrooms that are just full of folks that are behind on their credit card bills or behind on their secondary mortgages and liens are being, being placed on properties and wages are being garnished? I mean, wasn't that you that was telling me that? Yeah, I, well, I was before as municipal judge, I was an associate circuit judge down in Webster County, which is not you know, a, a very populated area, but I was handling what's called the 517 docket, which is like small dollar. It's more than small claims court, but it's not like it's anything between five and $25,000, uh, you know, and there's certain types of things that you uh, have there, credit cards, medical debt, uh, payday loan debt, <laughs> and all, I mean, like in every other Tuesday, I had three hours of people coming in who were, I mean, hauling their infants in, you know, having to argue about their ability to pay a medical bill or a bill they took out against their, their car title to pay for work done on their house. Right. And look, it, it's upsetting. I mean, right. like, you know, everyone has, listen, you have that recourse, you have that ability, but people, you know, have to make those decisions and they are, I mean, it is really tragic. It is not something you'd want to watch. It's not something you necessarily want to do, uh, you know, to spend your time watching that. And there's a lot, but there are a lot of sad stories about it out there. It's not just pace. Uh, it's, it's hardly at all anything to do with pace. It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, man, student loans, like the people who are defaulting on their student loans, that was so, insane. you know, and, and I will say that when you look at the side of the program, the PACE program, that's helping that financial hardship cases. I mean, if you consider the value of a good paying job in the building sector and being able to create thousands and thousands of jobs and generate economic, uh, gross economic impacts, Um, that is helping folks to put food on the table and to pay for family bills and to pay for things like this. And so this is a level of private investment that's been attracted to the state, $180 million of it, that a large portion of would not have come to the state were it not for PACE. Yeah, right, right. Well, and I'm really glad that we're running short on time because it, it, it avoids me from telling my awful John Oliver joke, which I was going to do. And as I was sitting here, realized it has no punchline. So I can't, it's not really a joke. So I'm going to end with asking you, Byron, <laughs> Byron, what should we expect from pace going forward from here? Like we're talking about this is September of uh, 2021. Um, what's going on with pace? 
Do we think there's going to be some expansion efforts with PACE at the legislature next year? Can you share with any, any so, our audience on that? You know, we're still analyzing the impacts of this bill and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there may be a need for uh, some technical cleanups, uh, but, you know, we're analyzing the impacts and what we want to, what we're really focusing in on, because there were some clauses that were put into the bill that would that potentially would negatively impact lower and middle income wage earners and their ability to access PACE. And so we want to make sure that, uh, that we have an accurate analysis of the bill. Um, I will say that um, I'm taking on a, uh, a broader role at oh, Y green and, you know, I've been promoted to uh, uh, we've actually created an office of social impact. Hmm. And, you know, social impact is really uh, the net effect of an activity on a community and and impacting the well-being of individuals, families, and the environment. And to me, uh, as part of the mandate of this office is to drive purpose-driven social impact, which is about really leaning forward and proactively engaging consumers and stakeholders through inclusive, empathic, and sustainable practices. And the other thing that I think purpose-driven social impact speaks toward is advancing our communities toward a more sustainable, equitable, and environmentally friendly socioeconomic system. And this to me is really the value set that needs to be woven through the entire fabric of not only corporate America, but our multinational conglomerates. Because if we do not do that, right, the negative impacts on the long-term uh, implications of the way our economy has been using up resources of the planet, putting fossil fuels into the atmosphere, you know, carbon into the atmosphere, which is creating the, the climate disruption, you know, these things need to be turned around. And you can only do that by changing the values and principles which govern our economy. And so this is really the ethos of social impact, and these new impact positions that are developing at corporations. And I commend Ygreen for having the vision to create an office of social impact. And I'm very honored and humbled to be able to head that effort up. I wasn't sure if that was something we could share today, but I think that is really exciting. And I think it also will allow our groups to continue working in different and exciting new ways that we will be announcing soon, I hope. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Byron, uh, before we go, and I do have a hard out here in a couple of minutes, uh, but um, why don't you promote your other... Uh, you? I don't know if you can do this on your company time, but you do have a podcast. You do. You want to promote that? Sure. Yeah. So I have a little pod. I mean, during COVID, I started a podcast. James, you were my first guest. I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you make you make for a very interesting interview. Wait, where did I hear that before? <laughs> you, just, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, uh, we were talking about the impacts of COVID and what it means to be an essential worker and clean mm-hmm. energy. And most recently, I had the uh, you know, good fortune of being able to interview uh, the former head of the secret Pentagon's program yeah. on UFOs, 
called ATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. The gentleman was named Luis Elizondo. Yeah. And I you know, scored this interview and it was about a week before he appeared on 60 Minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know, I think that got about a quarter million views and it really kind of propelled my podcast into, uh, in the, you know, rooms that it hadn't been before. <laughs> Let's just say that. Philip, have you um, listened to Byron's podcast? I'm going to put you on the spot. I have not, but I want not to even now. mine. <laughs> not even mine. Can't Did say I... that I have. Okay, well, it's going to go in your evaluation. So no, yeah, no. you can just Google it, Byron <laughs> Delir Intention Podcast. You know, it's available on YouTube or where podcasts are heard all over the place. What's that name again? Say uh, it for Intention the with Byron Delir. Right. Okay. So check it out, and Byron, uh, thanks again for all you do. Thanks again for appearing on our podcast and um, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks, James. Really, really appreciate you and Philip and Andrew and everyone at Renew Missouri. Um, you know, we were able to have Andrew at a uh, little dinner oh, yeah. uh, celebrating, celebrating completion of a hundred thousand projects. And Andrew got to meet Y Green CEO, Jim Reinhardt yeah. and the head of government affairs, Mark Scheffel. Um, and what was great about that uh, get together was, really seeing the intersection between the sustainability groups that support PACE and the equity groups like the NAACP and MOCAN yeah. that support PACE. And, and I really think that that, you know, kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier, which is this intersection of, of, of disparate public benefit interests to work together to evolve our economy to higher ground. Yeah, great. It was, yeah, we're happy to do it. We're happy to work with you. And we're also happy that you all chose to listen. We thank you for listening to Renew Gurus. We thank you for your support. If you like what you heard today, uh, subscribe to us on all major platforms, write a review, and certainly share this on your social media posts. On behalf of the Renew uh, crew here at Renew Missouri, uh, I'm James Owen and asking you to take care of yourselves and each other. Take care. <laughs>